After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is Joe Healy, and we are here to break down weekend six of college baseball, uh, give you some previews, uh, some keys to the, the big series of the weekend, and there are several of those. There, in fact, is number one versus number two as Arkansas, the top-ranked team in the country, heads to Mississippi State. They are number two for a big showdown in SEC play. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some of the other big series. And we also released our first in-season projected field of 64 this week. Uh, so we're going to get into a little bit of that as well. But first, I have to let you know that the Baseball America College podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, we're here. Uh, week six is coming up. It's kind of hard to believe that it's week six already. We have number one versus number two. We have a projected field of 64. There's a, you, you wrote um, a, a breakout player to watch, you know, breakout players in the 2021 season. You, you, you highlighted several of those over on the website today. So there's a, there's a lot going on here uh, for, for us to, to talk about and, and for everyone to, to read about over on the website this week. It feels like, the season has really kind of kicked into high gear when you when you talk about you know all conference play has has begun for most of the major conferences and so there, there's that at play here there's you know um you know we're starting field of 64 projections which is always a big deal and those are kind of a chore early on just because we're it's really like a you know one of those abstract rorschach things where you can kind of you can kind of take whatever you want out of what we have so far and, and justify it in a field of 64s so that's always the early ones, as I've learned, uh, working through them with you a little bit, has they are oftentimes philosophical debates as much as they are resume debates. So those are those are always kind of interesting. But yeah, we're, we're, it feels like we're starting to really get our teeth sunk into this season. We kind of are starting to learn who's who and and what's what. And I'm with you that it, it it's kind of surprising that we already are at week six. Although I don't know if it's because you know I'm not really sure. I won't even 
I won't even venture a guess, but I, I do feel like this season has felt a little more at a, at a regular pace than past seasons where those, maybe it's just less travel for you and I, maybe that, that actually sounds like the most plausible reason, but it does feel like things have moved at a more reasonable pace this year. Whereas there have been years past where we get five or six weeks into it and it's kind of like, where did the season go? So, um, but it's picking up. It's a good time of year. Basketball's done or will soon be done. You know, the NCAA tournament is still ongoing. No, I think and- they canceled it. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Basketball is done. Start paying attention to baseball, people. That's uh, <laughs> that's all there is to it. But you know, once basketball is kind of out of the limelight, it gives baseball a chance to to shine. And baseball is suddenly on your TV all over the place, which is great. So it's a pretty exciting time of year to be getting on board with college baseball. Absolutely, no time like the present uh, when you can uh, jump right in and see the top two teams in the country squaring off uh, this weekend. That's uh, that's that's definitely the highlight of this week for sure. And we're going to get into that matchup uh, probably at pretty significant length here in, in a little bit. But first, you know, we did release this, uh, this first in-season projected field of 64 and uh, wanted to get into that a little bit. As Joe mentioned, this time of year, it is quite tricky to, you know, really read a whole lot into the resumes at this point. RPI doesn't mean much yet. I think that you can start to glean some things from a whole, like a a conference perspective, because there are more data entry points on that. So, you know, it normalizes faster and really the uh, the non-conference the first month is is so important for that. So you, you can start to see that this is shaping up to be a very good year for the Missouri Valley and Conference USA and a very bad year for the Big West. And then you can start to think about how that's going to affect some things. Uh, but in terms of actually looking at, at individual teams in RPI, it, it's uh, that doesn't mean as much yet. Philosophically, when I was working on some of the, the 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 parts of the field, one of the hardest bits for me, Joe, was figuring out like, okay, the top five teams and the top twenty-five are SEC teams, uh, but we know that that probably won't last for the full season as they get into conference play and start playing each other, and some of these teams like Louisville and UCLA and Texas Tech that had early season hiccups are going to get right, have gotten right, and and things are going to improve for them and they'll work their way into the top five probably. So where, how many SEC teams can not only host, but be top eight seeds is is a tricky question right now. And and on the flip side of that, the ACC, which has already started beating itself, beating up on itself for uh, almost a month now, you know, their teams, as a result, are all a little closer to 500 in, uh, in conference records for the most part. And so how is that going to affect the hosting race? And so figuring out some of these, these top eight seeds were, were tricky and um, probably it, it's going to remain tricky for, for a while. That, that, that race is, is going to continue to evolve over the, the weeks to come. Yeah, I could definitely see a scenario where at the end of the year when the field is released that the SEC and ACC end up with roughly the same number of hosts, but how they arrive there is a lot different where you could definitely see a scenario where the SEC's hosts are kind of locked in in a lot of places as they move into the SEC tournament where the SEC tournament, as is the case every year, by the way, where there are just a couple of teams that just don't really have a ton to play for except an SEC tournament title. And, 
you know, coaches and players will tell you that's a big deal too. So there is that. Some but, of them. So, yes. There, there are others that are a little <laughs> more, um, a little more open to, you know, saying that, uh, you know, they're, they're really just kind of looking to get out healthy and, and maybe, you know, the only, the only positive is that they're not having to take a week off, not playing any games. So there is that. Yes. But the ACC, I, I think it's definitely setting up to be a situation where because the teams are beating up on each other already a little bit, where you could definitely see a scenario where, okay, we've got like six or seven teams in ACC that are truly in the discussion to host in some form or fashion, depending on how they do in the ACC tournament might have a lot to do with how those end up shaking out. And so in the end, the number between the two conferences might be pretty similar, but you know, I would bet on the SEC probably having more of the top eight, but uh, the total number being pretty similar between the two. And, 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 you know, I, I understand the dilemma of not having them all stacked up at the very, you know, one, two, three, four, five, for example. And I think that's probably right because ultimately I think, you know, I have some confidence anyway that someone's going to break out in the ACC and, and Louisville seems like as good a bet as any at this point, seems like they're starting to, to maybe figure some things out. Although we've said that a couple times now, but we just keep betting on it and they, and they, for the most part, they do keep winning. So they're rewarding that, that trust a little bit, but you know, teams will break out to kind of, uh, you know, push their way into that, that top group. So that, that will inevitably, inevitably happen. You can also see, you say it's too early to talk about resume stuff, but you, to your point, you can kind of start to look at some of the bigger trends or you can start to, to read some, some tea leaves here. And, you know, you have pit hosting and, uh, you know, and Notre Dame for that matter. And um, that is justified by their ranking, but you can also start to look at stuff like, you know, Pitt right now is number two in RPI. And again, I want to stress again that it is too early to really do like pair splitting in the RPI, but Pitt, Pitt being that high in the RPI right now suggests that, you know, as long as they take care of business in the ACC, they're going to be right there in the discussion. And they're probably going to be one of those teams that may not require as many wins overall as some other ACC teams that didn't have to play on the road early on or, um, you Well, know. I think that that is, uh, so the road is an interesting point on that with Pitt because our, you, in a normal year, what you're saying is 100% true, but this year, because there's only one non-conference series to this point, like it's not like Pitt has any more road games for the most part than, most of the rest of the ACC teams, what they have done already is banked nine road wins and uh, two other neutral site wins. So 11 wins away from Pittsburgh and all 11 of those wins are either against ACC teams or against Indiana state, which we now have in the top 25 and is looking every bit like a tournament team. So their schedule, like it's, it's backloaded in, in terms of ACC home games. So I, I feel pretty good about Pitt. Not only be, the RPI, your, your point on that is is a good one, but they already have so many wins away from Pittsburgh banks, and I know that they're going to play at home a lot more down the stretch. And you know, typically in college baseball, that's that's a that's a positive development. Playing home games means you're more likely to win. Yeah, I guess that's a better way to put it. Uh, yeah, my my the, the 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 line I was drawing there was incorrect, but it, I guess the 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 thought process of you know, the fact that they've already got a lot banked because they have played the number of road games they have already is, is a big feather in their cap because yeah, I'm, I'm looking at their schedule now. And I think they've played one home game. They have played one home game. It was, it yeah. was this midweek was a, it was a home game. Yeah. So they've, they're going to spend a lot of time uh, at home over the next several months, including my goodness, like as I scroll here, they're at home for a long time right now. So uh, yeah, so they, they've got an opportunity uh, to really make some, 
make some hay here. Uh, they do also have a tricky, by the way, they do have one potential landmine. They do have an early May series with Northern Kentucky. Um, and as of right now, that is scheduled to be a four gamer. Um, we will see if that holds. Um, but that's, that's tricky because Northern Kentucky is probably going to be a above 200 RPI team. And so that, um, you know, that, that's going to be a tricky one there, but in, in any event, um, yeah, interesting to see that, that first field, because it really does start to, to kind of crystallize the way things are shaping up early on, at least a little bit. And sometimes it can be jarring. Like we, we understand because we've seen the results week after week, like, yeah, you know, Notre Dame is, is a lot better team this year, or at least continuing what they did in 2020 and, and Pitt is clearly a lot better team. But to see them on host lines early on is kind of a, just a whole different deal and tells you that they're, you know, this, this is real right now. Now things can change, but as of right now, like that's the reality that we're living in. Yeah. It, Notre Dame hosting is, uh, I mean, that's happened before. It hasn't happened in a long time, but you know, pit hosting would be massive. Um, they've never hosted. They've made the tournament like three times ever. Uh, that would be, that would be really, really significant. And, uh, it would be cool to see if uh, if they are able to, to pull that off. You know, another interesting early RPI nugget is that East Carolina, which has not played much outside of Greenville, they have six road games of their of their 20 have been outside of Greenville. They are still number four in RPI and things will change, but that seems to bode pretty well for them. And it's always a really significant thing. For a team like that, which can have an atmosphere like they can have in their home ballpark uh, to to be able to host a Super Regional, particularly as you're trying to get to Omaha for the first time as a program. So that's one to watch. They're going to need to do work in the American because the rest of the American right now is painting around 500. I really don't know how good any of those teams are. Like, I think Tulane is a good team. I think Houston is a, a pretty good team, uh, but they're both just handing around that 500 mark pretty, pretty heavily. So we'll see where they, uh, where, where the Pirates go from here. But that is another early one if you're looking at the top of the RPI that seems to bode well uh, for where they would want to be. Yeah, that's, that's one of the, you, you mentioned the American, and that's kind of one of the other interesting exercises here. You alluded to it up top is that you can really start to kind of see conference by conference and you, you talk about it's a good year in the Missouri Valley. It's a good year in conference USA. And those, obviously there's a finite number of bids and those bids have to go somewhere. Although I will remind listeners, you got an extra bid this year, the Ivy league, uh, not doing an auto bid suggests there's going to be uh, one extra bid hanging around. So there's that, but also you can start to see that some of the conferences where those bids might be coming from the big West might be one, you know, we put UCSB in as kind of a bet on their talent and a bet on being good enough as, you know, obviously the winner of the big West, they would get the auto bid, but as maybe a good enough number two in the conference. Um, so the big West might be a league bids get pulled from the big 10. We've talked about this before is a league where bids could very well get pulled from where it's a conference that used to getting, you know, four or five, it's more like probably three this year. And then the American is kind of the surprising one where you're right. There's just someone else in that conference is going to break out. We put two teams in, you know, Houston, maybe it's Houston, maybe it's UCF. Um, but right now UCF they're snake bit <laughs> UCF yeah uh, oh my gosh tough loss in the midweek you know losing a game they had Florida State on the ropes and leading in the 10th and then Florida State walks it off with a botched infield pop-up and then a bases loaded walk I mean just my goodness but 
Point being, Having said that, though, I think UCF is destined to be bubblicious all season long. They're only nine and eleven now, despite you know the fact that like it feels like there's so much worse than that. But somehow they're nine and eleven, and they already have you know that series win at Ole Miss. So like if they play well in the American, there are going to be things on their resume that the committee can point to and say like, well, let's put them in. Yeah, but, that, I mean that, that series win with like, Ole Miss is just going to age so well. Yeah, I mean, like, I, am I going to bet on that? Like, uh, I mean, like, they. this is also a team that got swept at home by Liberty. Liberty is a good team, but, like, that's still a really – UCF, very confusing. But I, I would, if I'm projecting, look more to the Tulane or the Houstons of the world, of the American to – Yeah, but it's – I mean, it just looks like a conference that's going to have to work pretty hard to get yes. – because that's the thing, too, is that they're not going to get – the American is not going to get – out of conference opportunities once conference play starts. So once they start playing conference here pretty soon, like Next that, week. that, yes, that is what it is. Like, so, I mean, you now, can having said that though, they are fifth in conference RPI. And like, while the league has occasionally risen to three, uh, it's not that strange that they would be fifth. So this is kind of just where they usually live. But the problem with that is where they usually live usually means they get like three teams in the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's weird to look at, you know, conference RPI being as high as, and you look at these teams and you're like, huh. But anyway, I mean, having East Carolina's four, I guess is probably helping that a little bit. So. Oh, they are, they've now slipped behind the Valley. They're sixth now. Yeah. So we'll see, we'll see how that, how that goes down, but certainly it's, it's a year where the American feels like it's going to have to work pretty hard to get, to get a third team in, which it's used to getting that third team in. So we'll just have to have to see, but those are some of the conferences where you can look at and say, where are these, where these bids coming from and if, or if you're looking for it to be a record-breaking year in the sec or more likely the acc that's where those bids could perhaps come from indeed so we'll uh, be updating that weekly for the rest of the season until i start doing it daily uh i guess during conference tournament week but for now weekly uh, and you can check that out over at baseballamerica.com uh all right, Joe, we're going to talk about that number one versus number two matchup between Arkansas and Mississippi State this weekend in Starkville. But first, check this out. Okay, Joe, let's talk about this uh, number one versus number two showdown happening in Starkville at the New Dude. It is number one Arkansas going to play at number two Mississippi State. This is the 14th time in uh, the history of the Baseball America Top 25, which again dates back 40 years, it's the 14th time the number one and the number two teams will have met in the regular season. It is, uh, Joe, when do, you, when, when do you think the last time we had such an occurrence? Well, it was relatively recent because I think I was on, I think I was with BA. Now, whether or not I was full-time with BA is another question. Um, I'm going to guess it was, uh, I'm going to guess it was kind of, uh, late 2019. It was 2019. It was, uh, it was April five to seven, number one, UCLA headed to number two, Stanford, Stanford mm. won the opener and then UCLA won the next two. And, uh, as you might remember listeners, uh, 2019 UCLA was number one, like they took it over sometime in March and didn't relinquish it until in the NCAA tournament. We don't do an in-tournament uh, poll update. So 
they didn't end up giving it up until the the final poll when when Vanderbilt took it. But um, this was really when UCLA kind of solidified, like, yeah, this is the number one team in the country. Um, prior to that, it happened. That was the first since 2016 when A and M, again, the number one team, went to uh, went to Florida and Florida swept that series. That was that was a really really loud weekend from uh, from Florida. So the last three times it's happened, interestingly, the number one team has had to go on the road. Uh, we will see if this is more like uh, the 2016 occurrence when the number one team uh, or the number two team, excuse me, wins at home or the 2019 occurrence when uh, when you have the number one team getting it done on the road. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting series, obviously. Uh, but, you know, just in terms of what Arkansas has done over the last few weeks, um, they've looked shaky at times it, during that, during that stretch, they lose 16 to one last Friday against Alabama. It's their worst loss this century in Baumwalker stadium, but then they bounce back and Arkansas only, or, uh, yeah, Arkansas only gives up two runs the rest of the way in that series. And, uh, then they looked, uh, pretty good, pretty darn good this, this week against Memphis on Tuesday and Wednesday. So they've uh, maybe recaptured some of that momentum after their three-game skid that started when they lost the series finale at La Tech. Meanwhile, Mississippi State just has been cruising along, I feel like. They won a good series at LSU last weekend, and they're pitching really well. Um, and now they have they have home field advantage here. So, Joe, when, uh, when you look at this this weekend, I guess what jumps out to you about you know what what are you interested in in seeing from these two teams yeah i'm interested to see you know you mentioned mississippi state pitching so well and that that's absolutely true that the 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 volume of arms they're able to throw at you like we've talked about before is is just so impressive and i'm i'm interested to see if this arkansas offense you know we had some questions about it coming into the season but we always kind of bet on well arkansas always hits and I'm not suggesting that their production hasn't been, hasn't been good this year. It's, it's, it's been pretty good, uh, but it hasn't been great. Uh, and we thought there was a chance it could be like if, if, if they hit like they have in the past. So I'm just really interested to see if, if this is kind of a breakout weekend for Arkansas offensively. And it's a tough ass to do it on the road against this Mississippi state pitching staff. But on the other hand, if they can pull that off, it probably suggests that this is a team rounding into form. I think also, one thing just uh, from a, a big picture perspective that I'm interested to see this weekend is it doesn't feel like we've had, you know, you mentioned, let me take a step back. You mentioned with UCLA, they, they took over number one in 2019 and then didn't relinquish it. And, you know, we've had teams in the past, you know, the, the Oregon state teams in the past that have run pole to pole number one, you know, last year, the season obviously ended after four weeks, but Florida by the end of it was like number one with a bullet you know, was 16 and 0, didn't lose until that midweek game that last week. We really haven't had that yet this year. You know, Arkansas goes up to number one because teams that we had ahead of them in the rankings lose. So they kind of get elevated to number one. Uh, just, a, a, you know, not, I mean, they, they did play well, but they kind of get elevated because the teams in front of them lose. And then, um, so, and then since then they have been shaky, like you said, but we haven't just haven't had enough from anyone else or enough losses for Arkansas to really switch up that order. And 
I think this weekend with whoever comes out of this series, the victor, I think, gives us a little more of a number one that we feel like this is a team that, that is clearly a number one team in college baseball. Maybe not. Maybe the series is ugly. I don't know. But I do think there's a chance we kind of get that. And it feels like to this point of the season, we, we still just haven't – we still don't exactly know who the best team in college baseball is because Arkansas is ranked number one right now. But I'm not so sure that, you know, if, if Omaha started right now with the top eight teams in the country, I don't know that they would be the favorite to win at all. And I think this weekend might maybe gives us a little bit of clarity on just who we should consider the best team in the sport. You know, I, I don't know that like clearly whoever wins this is, is probably going to come out of it ranked number one, but to me, there are three teams. It's, it's a three horse race for number one right now. And you have to put Vanderbilt into this and Vanderbilt is third. And I think you can order these three, frankly, however you want to order them. We, like you said, have Arkansas one because, you know, they swept, they and Ole Miss swept in Arlington. And that gave them a leg up on Mississippi State, which only went two and one. (laughs) Only went two and one against, you know, potentially the three best teams in the Big 12. So that happened. And then you know, Ole Miss got to be number one and then they lost. And so then Arkansas rises to one and, you know, they, that LaTeX series win on the road is significant. Nobody else, I shouldn't say nobody else. I mean, like if you just look at Arkansas's non-conference, it's really, really good. It's the best non-conference resume of the group. Um, and, and so that's why they're number one. These three teams are all, two and one in the sec and you can argue about who played the harder teams and whatever on opening weekend it, it, it it's too it's too close to really make significant judgment calls especially considering that these two teams are going to meet on the field and kind of help settle it on the field this weekend um but i i still don't know that i'm going to feel like what if vanderbilt goes out and looks fantastic again this weekend like you know, I, I'm not suggesting that we would rank Vanderbilt one at that point, uh, but I would, you know, you would you would then wonder like, okay, when when do I get to see Vanderbilt play Mississippi State or Arkansas? Because like now I'm really interested in that too. So those three teams kind of are the standouts. Um, you know, and we don't get Vanderbilt in Arkansas this year. We do get Vanderbilt and Mississippi State in a month in Nashville. So. We'll get a look at that and, you know, we'll see where Florida, Ole Miss, Louisville, Texas Tech, all of them go. But yeah, I mean, I I don't think that, I don't think we're looking at a year where there is a freight train number one. Now, I would have said the same thing in 2019. And I remember uh, Mike Rooney and Dave Serrano talking on Twitter early in that season. I think it was SEC opening weekend. They were talking about like, Runes was was asking Dave how many number ones he thought there would be this that year and like oh look at how many times it's changed already like what if it changed seven times and you know that weekend I think UCLA had just taken over at number one and they were like the third team to be number one that season and like then UCLA just like never dropped number one the rest of the year uh, and like Vanderbilt who was so solidly number two by the end of the year like they also ran off an incredible run in SEC play, won like 24 games or whatever. 
And so sometimes it just takes a little while for the freight trains to emerge, but I, I don't think we're seeing it this year. I, I think things are, we, we have too much parity. And uh, I, I think we're going to continue to see number one change hands a little bit here, um, you know, down through the next uh, couple months of, of conference play. And obviously this weekend is, uh, is a big chance for these two teams to, uh, to make a statement. I think Mississippi State really stands out on the mound, obviously, with what they're doing there. Their rotation, I, I definitely give them the advantage this weekend. Um, you know, as, while Sarantola has not been good, Will Bednar was great last week against LSU, and Christian McLeod has been the Friday starter that he was expected to be. So, I mean, that's a, that's a really significant thing going on there when you look at Arkansas and Pan Paulette, who is the Friday starter, has been shaky the last couple of times out. And then, you know, Sebulon Vermillion and Lyle Lockhart are just good college pitchers. I don't want to take anything away from them, but they're not, they're not going to blow you away, away with stuff. They're, they're really going to work you in and out and, and locate well and fill up the zone and compete and, and have a lot of belief, but they're not, they're not premium prospect they're not blowing smoke at you so i i'm gonna definitely give mississippi state the advantage in the rotation probably on the mound overall and then it becomes on an arkansas lineup that is good but you know i think it's a little unfair to compare them to what arkansas had been doing offensively but it's also very apparent there is no heston kerstad on this team right now and you know okay he's the number two pick in the draft like good luck replacing that uh but you know that that said like arkansas has not replaced that and they've replaced it with a bunch of different guys hitting well they have 31 home runs as a team they have a lot of guys that can run the ball out of the yard but they don't have the big time consistent power threat or big time consistent performer even really right now Casey Opitz is their leading hitter at 364 and he's a very experienced hitter and he does a lot of great things but like he was an all-american because of what he did defensively as much as anything else and I mean yeah he's improved offensively but that is not the player that you know we expected to be leading Arkansas in hitting or, or be their biggest power threat you know they need to get Christian Franklin going they need to get Robert Moore going um, you know, Matt Goodhart's been okay, um, but they, they could use a little more out of Slavens, Wallace, and Goodhart in the heart of the order. And um, if they can get some of that this weekend, I don't, I'm not saying they need to score seven runs a game. That's, that's just not going to happen in all likelihood. But if those guys can just produce in some clutch moments, uh, I mean, that would be – that would make me feel a lot better about Arkansas' chances. Yeah, spoiler alert on, on Vanderbilt. They played Missouri this weekend, so they're probably going to look pretty good. Um, I don't mean to be disrespectful to Missouri, but I think that's a series. They did just lose a series at Kentucky. So <laughs> I think, I think, uh, I think Vanderbilt's going to have, have a good chance to look for, now it is on the road and like, you know, um, so there, there's that element, but, uh, Vanderbilt, good chance to, to look pretty good this weekend. So maybe, you know, maybe it will make for a, an interesting debate if, if Vanderbilt sweeps that series and outscores Mizzou, you know, 45 to six or something. Um, I mean, I would find it hard to not rank whichever one of these teams wins in Starkville this weekend, number one, just by virtue of like, okay, you beat either the number one team or the number two team in the country on the mm-hmm. road. So like you're, you're probably going to be number one, but I, I, I also think the loser might be number three. 
Yeah, no, that yeah, that's that's almost as much of a certainty as, as or even Ford because don't look now, but Ole Miss is at Alabama, and if they win that series, I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's true. I think it's for Arkansas. I think it's important to you know we've, we've talked about it a couple of different ways, but I think it's important for them to get off to quick starts offensively because this Mississippi State pitching staff is is not one you really want to fall behind and try to claw back on because they can they can. They're, they're, they've got good quality. They've got good depth. And that's just a, when you have those two things, you can really do anything you want on the mound. So they can, they can match up looks if they want, they can ride a, a workhorse. And so if you're Arkansas, I think you, you really like to get out to a fast start on the weekend and tap some of that depth early for Mississippi state, get as many looks as you can at guys, force them to cycle through some guys. I, I don't think it's a great recipe for Arkansas if they fall behind. And that's kind of a problem because that has been some of the struggle, right? It's, you know, the games that Arkansas has lost where you go, ugh, like those are the games where they just can't figure it out on the mound and you look up and they've, you know, the, the opponent, like last weekend, you know, there's a game where, you know, Alabama puts a 10-run inning on them. And so they, those innings have just been a bugaboo for Arkansas. And if they have one of those innings against Mississippi State, even if it's not a 10-run inning, even if it's a four-run inning, like those are just going to be tough against a Mississippi State pitching staff that is as good as it is. Yeah, the Mississippi State bullpen is kind of ridiculous. I mean, they're going to run Landon Sims out there at some point. They're going to run Preston Johnson out there at some point. You're going to see Brandon Smith. You're going to see you're going to see some guys that throw really, really, really well out of the bullpen, and uh, it's it's just going to be hard to come back from. And you know, Mississippi State has played a lot of close games as well. Uh, and they've done a good job of, of coming back. And, and part of that is that their bullpen is so good. Now, Arkansas's bullpen is, is really good, too. Uh, and you know, so if either team falls behind, coming back is, is going to be tricky. Uh, you know, scoring early is, is going to be big in this series. I mean, runs are just going to be big, period. Because you know, while I just said what I said about Arkansas's offense, it's not like Mississippi State's offense is, is rolling so much better either. Tanner Allen's their leading hitter. That's to be expected. Cameron James is having a really nice season. Um, but this is not a team that hits a whole lot of home runs. They have 17 of them this year. Uh, it's more of a, you know, hit doubles, move runners, be a consistent offense kind of deal. They run okay. Like both of these teams run when when the score dictates it. But if, you know, it, it it's possible to shut it down, uh, especially if they get behind. And, and so... It, it's uh, it's going to be a really well-played series, I think. Runs are going to be at a premium. Defense is going to be really high high level. You know, it, It's probably just going to come down to a few big moments and who can come up with the big hits in uh, with, with runners on base because that's, for, especially for Mississippi State, that, that's something they need to do. They, it, it's not an offense that is thriving on home runs the way that they did maybe even last year when they had West Westbrook and, um, and Foskey in the middle of the, the, the diamond there. And uh, if you rewind the clock back a couple of years and add um, you know, some of the other big boppers to it, like it's not that kind of Mississippi state offense this year. Last week, you, you brought to my attention, Jack Philby of UCLA and his walking prowess. I would like to draw your attention to Luke Hancock in the middle of the Mississippi state order uh, 21 walks and five strikeouts so far this year. That'll play. 
Um, that is impressive. That's a 455 on base, and his five strikeouts is by far the lowest of the guys who are regulars in the line. He has half half as many as the next highest number of any regular, and that's the 10 for Scotty Dubrol. So that's um, that's pretty impressive stuff. So, you know, two, you look at the 277 average for a guy like Luke Hancock, and you're kind of like, huh, okay. But he's got five homers, and he's walking four times as often as he strikes out. Um, that is an effective offensive player there for sure. Every week or every episode now, we're just going to try and highlight a dude who just walks at a crazy rate. That's going to be yeah. our new thing. That, that, that's a corner I'm willing to uh, take over. <laughs> the other the weird stat here, this one is not as – I mean, this one's impressive in its own way. You mentioned Zeb Vermillion as not being a guy who's going to blow you away. He's got a really weird stat line this year where he's undeniably been effective. It's a 213 ERA in 25 and a third innings, but he only has 12 strikeouts. And that's just weird, and especially in today's college baseball, to see a guy who's, you know, strikeouts per nine is like four. Um, that's just not really something you you see very often. And it's also – but the thing about it is it's not like he's given up a bunch of hits and he's just kind of getting out of it. Like opponents are hitting 129 against him. So he's doing something right, but he's just not missing a lot of bats. And so, like, is that sustainable? I don't know. But it's also possible that, you know, he's just – doing a really good job moving the ball around and changing speeds and soft contact and all that kind of stuff. And we'll have to see, but that stuck out to me too, because that that's really an outlier in terms of the numbers you see, you know, by comparison, Jackson Wiggins has struck out just as many batters in five and two thirds innings. So um, just kind of a strange stat line to see for somebody who's pitching as well as he is. Cause he absolutely is. That, that makes for a very intriguing matchup with this Mississippi state offense, which does not strike out a whole lot. Um, so that, that will be uh, something to watch on Saturday when uh, Vermillion is, uh, is on the mound there. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, one of the reasons he's able to get away with that is because Arkansas is fielding like 984 as a team. It's, uh, it's, it's something absurd like that. It is. Yeah. 984 still. Um it's uh, it's wild what they're what they're able to do, and you know more and and, uh, and battles are so much fun to watch up the middle and Opitz behind the plate and Franklin in center field. It's just a it's a great backbone of the team and, and cannot be overlooked. All right, Joe, uh, we don't normally make picks, but let's get us on the record here. Who uh, what what do you think the the outcome is this weekend? I think Mississippi State two out of three. I think it being a, I think this is going to feel as much like a normal series as we've had in college baseball this season, just because I think uh, there are going to be uh, the, the dude is going to, to the extent that any stadium can rock with half capacity or whatever it is, the stadium will rock in a very specific way. Um, but I also think, I think the way that Mississippi state is pitching is just going to be too much. I have a lot of faith in what they can do versus, you know, the Arkansas pitching staff has big-time arms on the same level as Mississippi State, but they just haven't been as consistent so far. Yeah, I uh, I would agree with that. And, you know, I, I think that, yes, you're, you're right. The dude is, is going to be uh, rocking much higher than, uh, than, than we've seen most uh, most to this point. And, you know, when I'm talking about this, this series probably being a very low-scoring series – I just can't go against the team that I think has the better rotation and is at home. Like, I, I think those are, are two big points in Mississippi state's favor this weekend uh, for what I expect to be a low scoring series, but I'm, I'm very excited uh, to watch this. Uh, the first two games are on sec network. Plus the finale will be on 
SEC net proper. So you can uh, can check that out this weekend. All right, we, uh, we, we got other series to preview. It's not all about the top two teams in the country this weekend. As exciting as it is that they are matching up, uh, we still have to uh, have to run through some of these other other series. Got some big ones here, Joe. First one I want to highlight is Louisville going to Notre Dame. I don't know coming into the season if we thought this one would have been one of the biggest ACC series of the season, but at least to this point, through the first month, that's how it lines up. Uh, you, you look at these two teams, they are, you know, going really well right now. Louisville, as we've mentioned, has kind of gotten it back on track after that series loss at Georgia Tech. Notre Dame, meanwhile, is uh, is 10-3 and three on the season. They finally played a non-conference game. They are 9-3 and three in the conference. These are two teams that, that are battling for the top spot in the Atlantic Division. And, you know, that's something that's never happened before. Uh, very intriguing what's going to happen in South Bend this weekend. How do you, uh, you know, what, what stands out to you about this one? I mean, this is the test for Notre Dame, right? I mean, because you, you've mentioned this before that you can kind of look at Notre Dame's schedule so far and you can kind of squint and start to wonder how good is, is what they've done really. It's undeniably impressive, like not trying to take it away from them, but you, you, you do start to wonder like, have they seen one of the truly best teams in the ACC? And I think after this I mean, weekend, the answer to that, it's definitively no. The question is, have they seen a like even top end contender in the ACC? Right. So that undeniably changes after this weekend with, with Louisville coming to town. So I think that's, that's going to just be fascinating to see a team that we're actually very confident is as good as advertised against, against Notre Dame. And obviously it's helpful for Notre Dame that it, that it is at home. But I, I was really encouraged by last weekend with, with Louisville. And we, we said it a couple of times, but I do think it was now granted they were playing an NC state team. That's really just taking on water right now and is really, really struggling. But I thought it was encouraging kind of the way they played last weekend. And, you know, they get to that third game against NC state and NC state has them on the ropes for seven innings. They had a NC state had a hot pitcher on the mound. It was throwing the ball well, but finally Louisville gets them out of the game and they just absolutely pounce on the bullpen ended up with, I don't know, I think it was an eight to three win or something pretty routine in the end. And so you're starting to see some, some positive momentum on some of the guys have been waiting on too, where, you know, Alex Benellis swung the bat well against NC state had four hits on the weekend, went four for four in the midweek against Western Kentucky. So that's really good news uh, for him. You know, Levi Usher had a hit in every one of the NC state games. And while that doesn't sound impressive on its face, you have to consider, where he's coming from in terms of struggling. So those guys are starting to figure it out. We've talked before about the pitching staff coming together where Kyrian has clearly taken a step forward. Albanese is back and he's looked good the last couple of weekends. They're still, you know, working in that third spot and figuring out exactly what they're going to do there. Um, but to this point, it hasn't been a huge hindrance. So, you know, I think it's a really good time for Louisville to be going to Notre Dame because this, I think if Louisville is the version of themselves we saw three weeks ago where we still had a lot of questions about them. I think Notre Dame's a team that is exactly the type of team you don't want to face where they, they had a lot of belief and they just play the game well. And, and, you know, if you're not at your best, they beat you. I think Louisville is now at a time where I think they feel pretty confident going into this series. And, and I do as well, that this feels like a team that is starting to finally put things together and looks like the unit that we thought they would look like 
when we put you know the rankings together in February. Before you opened Notre Dame stats today, did you know Nico Cavadas had nine home runs? I had no idea. Yeah, <laughs> he's second in the nation in home runs now. Yeah. I uh, I discovered that one yesterday. That like you know I knew he was having a, a good season. I you know I see him run the ball out of the ballpark all the time, but to to see a nine next to his name, uh, that's uh, that's really significant. And you know he's hit half of Notre Dame's home runs, so containing him is probably Louisville's biggest point of emphasis this weekend. But it's not like the offense is just him. You know Ryan Cole, Carter Putts, uh, Jared Miller, they're having nice years. I'm still waiting for Spencer Myers to, to get locked in at the plate. I think that that's a key, not only this weekend, but going forward for the Irish, uh, because he can do so much damage once he gets on base that having him sitting here with the 250 on base, like that's just, uh, not, not only is that not great because he's been their leading hitter the last two seasons. It's also not great because not having him on base means that there's less, there's less action. And uh, this is a team, you know, under Link Jarrett that, that wants to run. They have 20 stolen bases. That That is going to be an interesting thing just this weekend, period, is uh, watching the, these two teams go at it on the base paths. Louisville has 56 stolen bases already this season. That's, uh, that's absurd. You know, and, and Henry Davis, the Louisville catcher, is going to probably do a really good job of slowing down the Notre Dame running game. Uh, but if uh, if they're able to get any action on the bases, I, I think that would be uh, that'd be a nice boost for them offensively. But you know they're they're going to have to pitch. They're going to have to pitch this weekend. The Louisville offense is a good one. We've talked about it a lot, and like you said, Joe, that some of the the key pieces are starting to round into form. And uh, Notre Dame's going to need to find find a way to uh, to halt that progress if they want to uh, to come out with uh, with a series win this weekend in South Bend. Having said that, you know, I, I Louisville doesn't lose series all that often. Uh, so if they do go out and win the series, my enthusiasm for Notre Dame probably is still going to be about as high as it is now, unless like they get swept and it's not competitive. I guess. I, I just think that what they have done to this point has been really impressive. And then also, like you said, Joe, I mean, this Louisville team looks like the Louisville team starting to look more like the Louisville team anyway, that we signed up for in at the start of the season and and is has to be considered right now the ACC favorite, I would think. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, so much of the discussion we've had about Louisville has been surrounding the struggles of, of Benelis and Usher in particular, I guess, Let, let's, let's put a, a fine point on it. It's those two guys in particular, but if you had told us before the season and, and you just kind of omitted the struggles of Usher and Benelis, and you said, you know, Henry Davis is going to be hitting almost 400. He's got, you know, five homers. He's stealing bases. Cameron Masterman and Cooper Bowman are hitting 338. They both have five homers and the team's going to steal 56 bases. And, you know, you're, you know, all that is true. And you'd be like, where do I sign up? Because that's that. Those are the questions. Is like, how good well, are and oh, by the stars? way, that 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 Albanese and Kyrian look like a great one-two at the front of the rotation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so if you know, if you're willing to bet on you know the, the Usher and Benelis uh, rounding into form and, and the rotation finding a third guy and all that kind of stuff, like this is the team we were talking about. Like they they are here. It's just a matter of those stars that we kind of expected to see have not necessarily been in starring roles. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I think this is, this is, this is what we imagined it would be the, 
you mentioned the base stealing and, you know, Notre Dame has, you know, tries to run a little bit and Spencer Myers is, was supposed to be a big part of that to your point, not the most efficient base stealing team. They've been caught eight times, uh, you know, 20 of 28. So, you know, Henry Davis with his arm certainly can, to your point, neutralize some of that. I think a big thing with Notre Dame, you said they'll have to pitch and that's kind of been, they've been getting it done. Um, but it's been kind of a piecemeal situation on the Notre Dame pitching staff. So, you know, John Michael Bertrand has been Furman transfer has been very, very good for them. Uh, he's been steady. Uh, they've also gotten really good bullpen work out of, you know, Joe Sheridan, Tanner Kolhep, uh, Liam Simon, you know, guys who have given them multi-inning outings. Um, you know, so they've been able to get it done, but it's, this is just a different deal. Like, I don't know how else to put it, but this is, this is going to be a different deal this weekend. And do they have enough to pull it over the finish line? Because um, there have been times where it has felt like that's exactly what it is, is that they've just kind of pulled it across the finish line. So um, they're going to have to probably do more than they've done uh, to this point in the season to be able to have a, a good amount of success this weekend. All right. So that one is in South Bend and we will definitely be keeping an eye on that. Let's go to the other end of the country. You have Oregon going to Arizona, doing the Arizona two-step. They had the Sun Devils in Eugene last week and now they get to, uh, they get to go to Tucson. Oregon comes in at 11 and four. Uh, they won their first Pac-12 series against those Sun Devils. Arizona comes in at 14 and six, and they are coming off a series loss at UCLA. They, they get to, to go back uh, home and, and get all the, the home field advantages there, but this is going to be a tough series for them. Oregon has just played really good baseball all the way around. Uh, they're pitching really well, uh, which is you know going to be interesting to see how they hold up against Arizona's offense, which again, I continue to call perhaps the best, uh, the best lineup in the country. And, uh, you know, Oregon's going to have to find some runs to keep up with them. Uh, and, you know, Aaron Zavala and Kenyon Yovan have been incredibly productive for the Ducks. But beyond them, finding, finding other pieces has not been quite as easy. Tanner Smith is having a good year. Uh, Gabe Matthews has it in him, but has been kind of up and down. And then beyond that, the, the offense is not... At, it, it, it doesn't have the pieces, the depth that that Arizona does. So that to me is going to be maybe the, the most interesting part of this is can Oregon in a little more offensive environment than they have been used to playing in, can some of those offensive pieces step up against an Arizona pitching staff that has talent, uh, no doubt about that, uh, pitched okay at UCLA last weekend, but also is not it, it, it's it's not one of the top pitching staffs in the Pac-12. So who wins that battle? Uh, you know, who, who has the bigger step forward this week, the Arizona pitchers or the Oregon hitters? Yeah, I don't know if, like with Arizona, their pitching staff, like I don't know if, if I was a pitcher on their staff, if I would find it freeing or like uh, whatever the opposite of freeing is. Um, restricting. Yes, constraining. Thank you. That – I pitch for a team that has an offense like that. Cause on one hand, you know, it's like, well, I know the team's going to probably get me a bare minimum six or seven runs here. So like, I don't have to be perfect. On the other hand though, you continually get blamed for games you lose because you know, the team is scoring six or seven runs and that's sometimes not enough. So I'm not really sure how I feel about that necessarily, but it, it seems like the best thing for Arizona's pitching staff is to 
have the attitude that the Colorado Rockies pitchers have often said that the, the Rockies pitchers that have done best, you know, it's been said the pitchers that do best there are the ones that can kind of just throw the stats aside and kind of throw some of that stuff away and just have the attitude of just don't give up the next run, you know? Um, because I think that's, you're right. The offense is so good for Arizona that you don't have to do a ton on the mound. And so I think if, if they're able to kind of have that attitude, I think that that would be freeing. If you truly are able to have that attitude of like, all right, you know, run score, just don't give up the next one um, because this team will really put it on you. They've been, um, you know, probably even better than I thought truly they were going to be when you consider that, you know, Brandon Boyser at first base has been awesome. And Jacob Berry is a freshman. Probably I've probably underappreciated how good he's been offensively defense work in progress for Jacob Berry, but offensively he's been every bit as good as they could have hoped. The or it's so funny on the Oregon offense. Like you look at the stat sheet and you just think, you know, if we could just stop Yovan, you know, we'll be in good shape, but you know, every team has probably tried that so far and it's clearly been easier said than done. And then Aaron Zavala has been just about as good. Um, you know, he's also got one of those really high walk totals that we like to look at. I mean, he's getting on base at 582 clip, which is last time I checked pretty good. So, but you're right that it's, it's, it's the offense is very centered around those two guys. So if Arizona can actually find a way to limit those two, they have to feel pretty good, but you know, the rest of the teams that Oregon is playing are not dumb and yet they have not really been able to limit those two guys in the middle of the order. I think it's been for Oregon. I think that the, the pitching staff has actually been, I don't want to say a bigger revelation than what we've seen offensively because the offense really is uh, the, the impressive stuff on the offense has really been based around those two guys, but on the pitching staff, the way Colin Kafka has thrown the ball has been so impressive because I, he's a guy who's been, he's a known name. He's a guy who has had some expectations in his career and he's, and he's just kind of alternated between being not very good and being okay. And this year so far, he's been excellent. He's been exactly the guy that they needed him to be. And I think that's, that's been absolutely huge because I, I, I actually came into the season, not really knowing exactly what we could expect on the mound. And that's, sounds weird for an Oregon team that is really kind of just a dyed in the wool pitching and defense outfit or has historically been since the, the rebirth of the program. But I, I had a lot, cause I kind of thought, okay, you know, we learned last year that Oregon had some hitters here, had some physicality, but it still felt like they were really mixing and matching on the mound. And it, it does feel like they've figured out some things in, in that regard. So I, I've actually looked at what Oregon has done on the mound as just as, as, um, uh, confidence boosting as anything they've done offensively. Cause that unit has been extremely good. Yeah. Not only Kafka, but Robert Alstrom at the front of the rotation, those two have been, have been dynamite. Brett Walker's been, been good for them. Jake Anchier, Oregon's pitching coach who came from Sac State. He does a, he does a really good job. And I think you're seeing the, uh, the effects of that here on this ducks pitching staff. They have the misfortune, though, of having to play this series in Arizona, and the Wildcats don't lose much in Tucson. If uh, Arizona really needs this series, they uh, they have the misfortune of having to play what sure looks like maybe the two best teams in the Pac-12 back-to-back weeks to open Pac-12 play. So the good news about that, though, is if you get past these two weeks, like it probably gets easier. Although you know we're we're still learning about how good Stanford may be. Um, still learning about Arizona State, still learning about Oregon State, still learning about a lot of these teams that are that are good. USC is looking a lot better right now too, but I'm not not suggesting it becomes immensely easier, but it, it it should get a little easier, you would think. But they they I think they really need 
a series win this weekend because to to start the Pac-12 at two and four, one and five, like that would be that'd be really bad for the Wildcats newsflash. Uh, but but especially to to lose a series at home, uh, I, I I think they they need to to use this weekend to uh, to get back on track after after a difficult series at UCLA. Agreed. And I don't think Coach Waz would think of it this way for Oregon, but Oregon feels like a little bit playing with house money so far. So I'm with you, and then I think it's it's a bigger series, big series for both. But I think Arizona really, really, really needs it. All right, let's head over to the Big Twelve where Oklahoma is headed to Austin in a rivalry showdown with the Longhorns. Uh, Texas opened Big 12 play last week, winning a road series at Baylor for Oklahoma. This is the start of Big 12 play after going 12-8 uh, and eight, um, in the, uh, the non-conference portion. And, and we talked a little bit about Oklahoma at the end of last, the, the last podcast on, on Monday about how, you know, I at least had kind of after they went one and three in Frisco and Arizona scored 32 runs and two games off of them, uh, I kind of put the Sooners away and uh, didn't, didn't do a whole lot of thinking about them after that. Uh, but since since that weekend, they have lost just twice, uh, both, uh, uh, you know, kind of weird losses to Sunbelt teams. <laughs> they lost once to Arkansas State and uh, once to Texas State, but otherwise, you know, they have a win against Arkansas. They swept Houston last weekend. They've they've been playing really well here, and uh, they they come in with some momentum. Uh, it's going to get harder though. This Texas team is really good. We've seen that. Uh, you know, they've really rebounded from from that tough start to the season. Uh, but you know, this is a rivalry weekend. Uh, it's a it's a Texas team that isn't hitting particularly well right now. So I. In, in, a, in a series like that, it, it, it starts to become uh, a lot more interesting, I think. Yeah, totally agree. I think that kind of pulls Texas back down to, to Oklahoma a little bit. I think it, it moves these groups together because that kind of is the opposite. You know, Texas pitches well. Oklahoma's offense is good. Oklahoma has struggled on the mound. Texas's offense is more of a question mark. So I think that that makes this a closer series. And um, the thing about Oklahoma is, you know, what, what we really liked about them in the preseason has turned out to be true. Like their offense is really good and probably not, probably even better than I had thought, honestly, like, and I don't mean like thought before the season. I mean, like literally until I opened up their stat sheet, like, and was like, Oh my goodness, this offense is actually really, really good. So they, they can really swing it. The thing about it is, I mean, their often or their pitching staff is five and a half ERA and, you know, if that was a run lower, which, okay, easier said than done. Like I'm sure Skip Johnson would love for it to be a run lower, just boom, you know, magically. But I wonder how much it lowers. I, if you just remove that Thursday game against Arizona when they gave up yeah, 20 runs. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting <laughs> thought exercise because that, that very well might do it. Now it's but, not like they were throwing midweek pitchers that day. That was, that was like the top line and stuff, but. Yeah. Just their pitching staff just hasn't like, nothing has really gone like, they expected, you know, Wyatt Old to sit in here with an ERA over seven and Dalton Fowler, the Juco transfer who has good stuff. His ERA is over 15. Luke Taggart, the incarnate word um, transfer has been mostly in a relief role and he's been okay, but he hasn't been like a real game changer. And so, you know, Ben Abram uh, is a reliever who could start some games. He's just been in a relief role. ERA is almost six. 
Uh, you like some stuff Jared Godman was doing earlier this year, but his ERA is over five. Um, they have had a couple guys who have really stepped up. One is Carson Carter. And I actually saw a little, I saw just a tail into that Texas state game uh, last night as we record uh, after the UCF Florida state game ended and, and he looked really, really good. And he's been excellent this year for them. So it feels like maybe he's had a little bit of a breakout and he's a guy they can lean on a little more. Jason Ruffcorn, veteran closer uh, has been very, very good as well. So that's, that's there. Um, they, they feel pretty, pretty good about that. Um, so there are some pieces here on this pitching staff that you can really start to feel good about, but they're, they're going to need just way more <laughs> in terms of trying to get this pitching staff where they want it. Uh, maybe Jake Bennett, as much as anything has been a positive there in the rotation, he's pitched pretty well his last couple of times out and 432 ERA on the season and five starts. So, um, maybe this is a weekend where they start to get some of that stuff figured out. Um, but it's not as if, you know, Texas might be struggling at the plate. Um, but it's not as if the teams that for the most part, Oklahoma has been playing so far this season have way better offenses than what Texas is going to be putting out there. So, um, we'll have to see. Um, but it's still for all of the, cause I'm with you, I've kind of, I don't want to say written off Oklahoma, but certainly have put them just kind of like forgotten about them a little bit for all of those struggles they've had, all of their goals are still right there in front of them. Like this can still be a postseason team. The offense can hit with anybody. Um, so you know, as they continue to try to iterate to find the right combination on the mound, like as long as they kind of keep winning games, um, they're going to be right there. And I think this weekend is, is huge for them. We've talked about Texas a fair amount here on the podcast and pretty much anything I said about them around the South Carolina series remains true today, except that now Austin Todd is out for the season and, you know, losing that kind of hitter is, bad for for this this Longhorns team I mean that's he's a a a grizzled veteran who has been one of Texas's best hitters pretty much throughout his career which is now like I want to say six years long um they need to find an answer there Mike Antico the St. John's transfer has not been as good as you would have hoped it's not like he's having a bad year he's playing better than his 216 batting average, that's for sure, has 11 stolen bases. Eric Kennedy still hasn't kicked it into gear, really. Like, I know I've talked about, highlighted him as as being a guy that they would be hoping to get going a little bit more, and that still is, they're still looking for that. Texas is fighting it offensively a little bit. Maybe this weekend, playing this this Oklahoma pitching staff, which is fighting it a little bit itself, maybe that's that's what they need um, to, to, to get a to get it rolling. I mean, I think you have to like Texas here in this spot, uh, but it's not a bad matchup for Oklahoma to start conference play. And I think it'll be a good barometer for just where they are after playing good baseball over the last two weeks. Okay. Now, now as you get into big 12 play, what is that going to look like? How is that going to manifest itself? Is this growth real? Uh, I think we're going to get a lot of answers to that this weekend. And that's what I'm most looking forward to out of, out of this series. I totally agree. You know, Texas, if they win this series, suddenly you're looking at two really nice series wins. Like we don't know exactly how good Baylor is. I think we know kind of the, the upside and the the downside risk of Oklahoma here, but that those are two nice series wins to begin big 12 play Oklahoma. I think it, it kind of changes if they win this series, Oklahoma does. I think it really, it starts to have to change the way we start to talk about them, especially if they do it, you know, if they win a couple of ugly games, 
you know, nine to eight games, then maybe it's okay. They maybe the ball just bounced their way, but if they start to show something else in the mound this weekend and limited Texas offense that has its own problems, maybe it does start to change the way we, we talk about Oklahoma a little bit. Um, it's going to have to be a process. I'm not going to buy right back in on them after one good weekend, but it could start to maybe change the way I think about them a little bit. All right. Uh, let's go back to where we started. And that is the sec. Um, mentioned South Carolina. We've talked a lot about South Carolina the last few weeks. They just keep playing intense series. So I, we, we maybe don't need to give this one quite as much as we've, we've given the last few here, Joe, but South Carolina hosted Florida. We have not talked about Florida a whole lot since opening weekend when they lost that series to Miami. It's been quiet for the most part. Florida has gone out, played pretty well, piled up a lot of wins, swept Texas A&M last weekend. They're now 16 and five. Uh, I don't want to say they're back completely to being the team that we thought they were coming into the year, but it, it sure looks a lot better than it, than it had. That was a, a, a really nice sweep last weekend of A&M. Now they have to hit the road, something they haven't really done this year, certainly not on a weekend. And they're going to South Carolina, which is really having lost series at Texas and at Vanderbilt, uh, you may have heard that they got no hit on Saturday by Jack Leiter. And, you know, having faced two really good pitching staffs in Austin and in Nashville, things aren't going to get any easier for them in terms of the, their, their hitters this weekend, seeing Florida's arms come in, you know, with Tommy Mace, Jack Leftwich, Hunter Barco, and the myriad relievers that the Gators can throw at you. So, again, not an easy matchup for the Gamecocks uh, overall, but talk about a team that needs a win, that, that needs to find itself uh, this weekend. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about here as they just try and look to survive what has been a brutal, brutal stretch of schedule for them. Yeah, my goodness, a bit of, you know, that, that Texas series came together late in the process. And so a bit of ambitious scheduling there for, for Mark Kingston. And I, you know, I won't even say it backfired because if this team ends up achieving its goals, then it's, you know, that, that was a good series to get that experience. And, and maybe it's, you know, something of a, a springboard had they not, you know, had to face Vanderbilt the very next week, but certainly a tough stretch here for them. And, you know, I think if you're South Carolina, you just have to look at these last couple of weeks are not indicative of, of what this team is, is capable of, you know, it's, it's not as, it's not as bad as it has looked the, the, the last couple of, of weeks for sure. And they, you know, they, and they pitched well, I think that's what you have to take away is that they, they weren't really getting blown out. They just weren't scoring and that the pitching was really able to keep them in the games. And, and Tim Corbin, after the, the Jack lighter, no hitter, you know, kind of in, in true, you know, coach speak way was pretty quick to deflect, like, look, you know, lighter had this no hitter going, but we weren't that far from losing that game because they, they pitched pretty well. So he was complimentary of, of that unit. So um, it's not as if, you know, it's looked bad because they haven't won very many games in the last couple of weeks, but they have stayed pretty competitive in the series, which is, has been good. And I know it's probably a little soulless to the team and, and the coaching staff, but that is true. Florida, I think that, you know, maybe SEC play getting started was just what the doctor ordered because that looked a lot more like the team that we expected to see. You know, it was, it was, it was more like the, the team we thought they were versus what we had seen in the past, which has been a team that had kind of obviously lost that series to Miami, but also had kind of sleepwalked through a series against Jacksonville and had kind of sleepwalked through some midweek games and 
you know, you weren't sure what to expect from, from certain guys. And last year, or excuse me, last weekend was just really one of those sweeps where they were in control the entire weekend. And, and sure, this is not a vintage Texas A&M team. I, I get that, but uh, certainly it's a, it's a more talented team than some of those teams they had really kind of played with their food against. So I think it was a, a big weekend for Florida to get, to get back on track. And, you know, one of the things that's quietly happened is that Jack Lefwich has really, really locked in as their, their number two starter. Not that he was ever in danger of like falling out of that spot, but, you know, we're talking about a guy that now has a sub two ERA that, you know, started the season a little shakier against Miami uh, than maybe I would have expected for a guy who has as much experience as he has. And so now with Mace and Leftwich at the front of the rotation and Hunter Barco has been better as well. Uh, you know, that's, that's really where this all starts. And, you know, it's, uh, th- th- there's plenty around them. They seem to be finding a lineup. I'm not surprised ultimately that, that Florida, you know, I'm not going to be surprised if Florida's locking into to something. This is something that that Sully is really good at doing is like seeing what he has, evaluating all of the options, letting the the younger players get a run out there, seeing seeing what what they are, how the lineup fits best together, and then working to something so that by May that they're 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 really clicking on all cylinders. Sometimes it happens earlier. Sometimes they need all of that time. Um, you know, we'll see this weekend will be a good test as to are they fully locked in yet or are they still learning a little bit about how these pieces all fit together? Uh, you know, going on the road in SEC play, I mean, especially to a team that pitches as well as South Carolina does, I mean, it's, it's going to be a really good test. And I, I think that's what I'm most interested in here. In addition to seeing like, okay, after two really hard weekends on the road, South Carolina, now you have a home game. And, you know, can you rise to the challenge uh, against Florida in your home ballpark? All right, Joe, those are my series. Uh, I know you have an exciting one as well. So let's uh, let's get to your pick. Yeah, Conference USA, clap, 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 clap. Uh, <laughs> we've got a big one in Conference USA this weekend. Uh, and not just a big one in terms of standings, it's two kind of Two teams that are well supported, you know, good fan bases, teams that have been very good the last several years. But uh, Louisiana Tech is going to Southern Mississippi uh, to kick off Conference USA play for these two teams. I don't think there's really any better way to do it in Conference USA. Uh, It's a four game series, CUSA doing four game weekends. And uh, because sometimes the college baseball gods do bless us in this way, uh, they are playing four more later this year. So they will return these four games to the Love Shack later this season. So that will be uh, pretty good, especially if this series lives up to its, to its billing, but I don't think there's a better time. You know, I asked Lane Burroughs earlier this, <laughs> this week, if there's really, if he considers this to be a good time to, to be heading to Hattiesburg because his team is playing so well and you're, you're catching, you know, catching it early in, in conference play. And he, you know, he kind of uh, his, his answer, which I love was just kind of like, well, we're playing well, they're playing well. So let's just, let's do it. Why not do it now? And I, could, could not agree more, honestly. I mean, Louisiana Tech is coming off of a really good couple of weeks where they play Arkansas just absolutely to the brink. A very, very well could have won that series. Sometimes coaches will say, well, we, we could have won that series. And you you look at it and you're kind of like, I, you know, I guess. But uh, this one, they truly could have won that series against Arkansas. So they do finally win that Sunday game. 
throwing a two-hit shutout. Then the following Tuesday, they win a midweek game against Ole Miss, just blowing them out. And then they sweep Tulane on the road. And, you know, who knows how good Tulane ends up being. They've shown some good things. They've had some tough games. Um, But the first two games of that series, they threw complete game shutouts against Tulane uh, before winning the the Sunday game in a little more of a little more of a slugfest um, and then beat, you know, a local rival in ULM in, in the midweek. So Louisiana Tech playing pretty well. Southern Miss playing similarly well. Southern Miss coming off of a uh, midweek or yes, I'm sorry, a midweek win against Alabama where they threw 10 pitchers, kind of a classic Johnny Holstaff win for, for Southern Miss. Um, and I think that was big because to this point, it, it, they've been playing well, but it's hard to know exactly what we were looking at. They swept Missouri State at home. You know, they swept Louisiana Lafayette. Those are teams that I think are better than what their records have been so far, but who actually knows? So I think this weekend is a good measuring stick series for, for both of these teams. Louisiana Tech is just so well-rounded. Like, it's unbelievable. You know, a lot of times with these really good mid-major teams, you tend to see some one-sidedness. You tend to see teams that, well, they can really swing it. This is actually the most common archetype because the pitching depth is typically not as good at the mid-major level. The, the number one archetype is, well, they can really, really swing it. And they have one or two guys in the mound that can beat you. And then if you can get to their depth, you feel pretty good. Um, this is not that. Um, they can also pitch, as evidenced by the fact that in the last, in the last two weekends, all three of their pitchers have thrown a complete game shutout. Um, you know, it's, it's a team that, that has quality in the rotation. They're all experienced guys, but they've also got depth in the bullpen. You know, Burroughs talked about how the fact, the fact that they really haven't gotten to throw as many of the guys as they would have liked in the bullpen because the starters have been so good in spots. So they're actually a team that probably feels like their depth hasn't shined as much as they would have liked to this point necessarily because they haven't had as many opportunities as they assumed they would. So I'm really fascinated about this because I think there's an opportunity for, I don't want to get too far ahead of things, but, you know, I think La Tech, especially in a good year for Conference USA and all of the stuff that that brings with it, I think this could be one of those mid-majors that ends up being kind of special. Um, I, I thought that, I had a hunch about that coming into the year, but you just always kind of temper your expectations because a, a mid-major team can be pretty good and there are a lot of exterior things that can kind of make it to where that doesn't necessarily mean they have a dream season. Um, but so far things are lining up for LaTeX, I think, to, to, to be that type of team. And so who, where that ends, who knows? But I think this has a chance to be one of those really special mid-majors that can beat absolutely anybody come the postseason. And if we see this weekend, they take three out of four or sweep four games from a good Southern Miss team. I think that'll be the first sign that that's the direction this is heading. So I think this is a huge week for Louisiana Tech because I think this is the week that they announced that this it, they are the Conference USA favorites. Everyone else is a pretender. And they really just take control of it. And Joe, I think you're selling them short. Like, I think if they do that this weekend, if they win three or four games in Hattiesburg, like we're talking about them. I mean, we had them on the edge of the top 25 this week. They would be in the top 25 next week in all likelihood if that happened. And you have to start wondering about them hosting because I'm glad you said it. I didn't want to say it, but I'm glad you said it. I didn't want to I thought you were going speech. to, and I was going to be mad that you, you took my thunder of being able to <laughs> like lay out how this could happen. But like, they have a road, like they have a road to hosting. If, if that happens, 
I mentioned, rewind the podcast 40 minutes now, I guess, if you uh, if you missed it. But this is a really good year for Conference USA. We haven't been able to say that in a long time. They, uh, you know, they mean in Conference USA that they're going to put in multiple teams comfortably into the tournament. I feel very comfortable in saying that. Louisiana Tech, seen here at 14 and 5, owning two SEC wins already. Um, yes, both of them were at home, but whatever. They have two SEC wins. They, their RPI is seven. It's too early to know precisely how good that is. Uh, but if you look at their schedule, you know, with the exception of Southern, which is already above 200, which is where it'll stay, uh, the rest of these teams are going to be where they are or better, I would expect. Uh, so that, that would seem to indicate that Louisiana Tech has some staying power in terms of RPI. Uh, playing in Conference USA will bring it down a bit because they've been able to play six SEC games to this point, and they're not going to play six more the rest of the year. Uh, they're not going to play any more. I, I guess they have one against LSU still. Um, but anyway, th- they're building something here. And if they dominate Conference USA, like they, they have a very real shot at this. And I don't know what I think about Southern Miss yet. That win against Alabama is significant. I don't want to downplay it, but it was on a Tuesday night um, with Alabama in between series against Arkansas and Ole Miss. Um, and oh, by the way, Alabama's thinking it's playing tonight, meaning Thursday. We'll see. There's bad weather in Tuscaloosa, but like, they, it, it wasn't even a normal, like, full-on week for them. Southern Miss, if you look at the schedule, you see Missouri State, you see Louisiana Lafayette, you see Jacksonville State, you see UConn, even Northwestern State. These are all teams that, like, you expect to be pretty good. None of them really seems like they are. Uh, Louisiana Lafayette might be, but I've heard some pretty mixed bag on that. None of the rest of them has a winning record. Like, I don't, I don't know what to make of any of that. And then if you go look at Southern Miss, they're not hitting. They're just straight up not hitting. Their team batting average really is 208. Bad. Their it's team really OPS bad. is 681. This is not the Southern Miss team that I expect. And I don't know how that gets corrected. Um, guys that you would expect to be hitting, Gabe Montenegro, long track record of doing it. He's not doing it. Daniel Lynch, guy they really have liked since he was a freshman. He's not doing it. Slade Wilkes this year is like best freshman coming into a conference USA school, arguably. I mean, FIU had a couple of guys rated higher, uh, but Slade Wilkes was a top 150 player in last year's BA 500. He's not hitting. And when I say not hitting, like none of these guys are even hitting 250. Um, None of these guys has, I guess Lynch has two home runs, but Montenegro only has one. Wilkes has none. Like they're just not they're not doing a whole lot offensively. And this is not a team, as you outlined, Joe, in Louisiana Tech, that you want to try and get your offense turned around against. So, I mean, yes, Southern Miss is at home. Yes, they pitched much better than uh, than they hit. Um, you know, Ryan Ock continues to look really good out of the bullpen. Walker Powell's been a really good guy for them. The front of the rotation, Hunter Stanley is, is a quality starter as well. But they're they're going to be hard pressed to to you know match Louisiana Tech's offensive output, which by the way I still think can get better because Parker Bates is not having the year that Joe expected him to when 
you picked him to be uh conference USA player of the year, not to throw you under the bus on picking the wrong La Tech player, but like their offense has more in it, I think. So I expect this to be a little more low scoring, but I, I, you know, I, 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 I think Louisiana Tech looks really good here this weekend. Yeah. Hard to argue. I, I did have Taylor Young at one point actually in that spot for conference USA player of the year. And then I looked at Parker Bates's numbers last year again, and I was like, huh, I guess I have to go Parker Bates. So like, but the point was you could have reasonably picked four different guys for La Tech to win that award. It's one of know. those steel Netterville. Steel Netterville is one of them. Absolutely. He is. <laughs> um, and he's not having quite as good a year as, as you know, he would have hoped, but you could have gone Taylor Young. You could have gone Netterville. You could have gone Bates. You could have gone Hunter Wells based on track record. And so any of those four guys think we're a reasonable pick. And so, you know, you go Parker Bates and, you know, maybe he's not the right guy, but um, it talk, it tells you a lot about what kind of depth they have there in the offense that um, it hasn't really been a hindrance that he hasn't been quite as good as, as you would have, you would have expected. You're right about that. the offense. Southern Miss just been so, 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 so poor. And it almost like, there's something that's almost like strangely encouraging about that because it can't really get worse. And so, you know, if that team hits a little better, they're in really good shape. The one thing that really stands out about their, about their pitching staff is they are not going to walk you. Uh, they don't really have anybody on the staff as I do a quick glance. I'm just making sure. Yeah. I mean, they, they don't really have, except for Gabe Shepard, who, you know, big time arm, who has only pitched a couple times this year. It, it seems to me like he's struggling with something either physically or, you know, mechanically or, or something that he's only thrown a couple of times, but outside of him, no one else is really walking guys. So, you know, you mentioned Walker Powell, that's a 29 to four strikeout to walk ratio. Ben Etheridge, who started four games, 33 to one strikeout to walk ratio. Hunter Stanley, you know, who's been as much of a revelation as anybody converted reliever in the rotation now, 46 to five strikeout to walk ratio. So uh, they're going to throw strikes. Um, now, <laughs> Throwing a bunch of strikes to a lineup as good as Louisiana Tech seems like a tough way to live. So they're going to have to miss some bats too. You're not just going to be able to fill up the strike zone and have Louisiana Tech hit a bunch of slow rollers. So that's an interesting matchup there, but certainly it's, it's a pitching staff for Southern Miss that is not going to give you the game. Um, and I think that makes for an, an interesting uh, matchup with Louisiana Tech offense that um, is probably going to try to let it eat a little bit. Um, so uh, I think if Louisiana Tech runs away with this series, I think that's kind of what it looks like where this is a Southern Miss pitching staff that, you know, fills up the zone, but it's too many strikes and Louisiana Tech is able to just kind of pound the ball all over the stadium. We'll, uh, we'll definitely be keeping a close eye on this one. Like, like we've mentioned now a couple of times, Conference USA on the, on the come up this year after several down years. And I hope that we can get a competitive series or at least a compelling series here to, uh, to start conference play off um i mean it goes deeper than these two teams we've had fau ranked while they're you know hovering around 500 now like that's still a good team san antonio has has looked pretty good this season um you know there are there are you know charlotte old dominion they're they're looking good out on the eastern half of this conference i uh i'm excited to see what conference usa has has to throw at us and i'm glad that they are uh their starting conference play now this weekend because it's uh it looks like it could be a pretty compelling league. Yeah, just like as a quick kicker here, Old Dominion is one to watch. I, I got a lot of positive reviews about Old Dominion from opposing coaches, like in the offseason, just kind of in conversation about random things. Like there that name came up a lot um, with coaches in the region and in the conference. So um, they're playing well out of the gate. So I think it is real. 
Um, so that, that is one to watch. Their RPI is kind of in the early returns, kind of in the range where you'd need it to be to, to be able to look at that team. As I don't think that's going to hold. If you look under the hood, it doesn't look quite as good. Right. But um, they uh, the, the, the conference this year divided into two halves. And, I mean, they've got to be right there with FAU as favorites in the Eastern, right? You, yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. I, I would think so. You're, I mean, you're right that they're getting a lot of credit for Rhode Island being a top 25 RPI team, which is probably not, which is certainly not going to hold. So, um, but with the conference having a good year, uh, they are in a position where I think um, they could take advantage because the 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 other coaches believe in the talent and the numbers look good. So that that is another team to watch here. All right, there's uh, there's your conference USA update. They are the latest conference to uh, to get into conference play here, and we're we're excited for it. Uh, I think next week, pretty much everyone's going to be into it. The American gets into it next week. And I'm sure there are some smaller conferences that I'm overlooking that maybe start a little bit later, but conference play fully underway. And we, uh, we are very excited uh, for all of that. So we'll have all of this covered for you over at baseballamerica.com throughout the weekend. Uh, And next week we'll have a new top 25 and a new podcast for you guys to listen to on Monday. So make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. And we greatly appreciate all of the subscribers. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And uh, like I said, plenty of content to check out on the website throughout the weekend. We'll be back here next week with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast. Until then, want to thank everyone for listening. Want to thank Rapsodo for presenting the Baseball America College podcast. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.